Welcome to the Bars FM podcast. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to A Conversation with Kosh Patel. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction, righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher, soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, patriots. And today is June 21st, Tuesday in the year 2022. And tonight we have a fantastic interview. It's a shorter interview than I normally do. It's about 25 minutes, and we'll continue the show after that. But this is with Kash Patel. This is one of the people that we've come to know in many ways. He's a fantastic voice of truth and honesty, which is, a, a, I would say at this day and age, a rare trait with people in the political circles. It was a really a great pleasure to speak with him today, and he will be coming on the show again in the near future. Before we begin... Make sure that you are taking good care of your finances and doing all you can to protect your wealth. We're in quite a time right now of of upheaval, and it's going to continue for quite some time. Patriots, we have been witnessing the economy slowly go through a death spiral, and the Fed has boxed itself in. The economy is in dire straits, and thanks to a loose money policy, there's no end in sight. Apparently, you just can't spend trillions every year without repercussions. And now, in an attempt to play catch-up, the Fed is raising rates and plans to do it seven more times this year. We're already starting to see the ripple effects in the housing market as people's buying power diminishes. What are you doing to protect your money? Have you considered what could happen if the stock market continues to fall or worse, crashes? Don't wait until that happens. Take some of your profits from the stock market now and solidify them with gold from Birch Gold. Throughout history, gold has maintained its value better than any other investment in the world. So text BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to the number 989898. Again, BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to the number 989898 for a free zero-obligation info kit on holding gold in a tax-sheltered retirement account. Again, text BARDS to 989898 and secure the gains from the hard-earned capital that you have. Join the thousands of Happy Birch customers, the countless five-star reviews, and an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. Birch Gold. They're professionals. They're some of the best in the market. So again, text BARDS at 989898 to protect your future with gold. Patriots, we're in a very difficult time in this nation, in this world, because we face a asymmetric fight, asymmetric meaning a irregular warfare fight, where we have also unequal capabilities. We're dealing with a deep state and a federal government that has unprecedented level of abilities, thanks to the wonderful taxation funding that they've received over generations. And we have us that are fighting against institutions of media and media control, and we're using information as one of the primary weapons in this war. And as it is, we're disrupting the control narratives and we're starting to come out as victors in this. But victory is a long ways off, just to be clear. In this fight, we've had some amazing people that we've come across and an amazing time to see great patriots stand up. Kash Patel is one of those. He has a very interesting background. 
He's a he's a um, an attorney, and has worked with in within the Congress and on Capitol Hill, and he also worked very closely with President Trump, and still does. Now, Kosh is also, as I've learned, he's a very candid person, and and honestly, when we began this interview, this is what he told me today: "You can ask me anything." And when somebody says that, I have tons of respect because. No matter what we discussed, he was willing to step in, give his opinion, and he is extremely well informed. So with that, let's listen to this short interview with Kash Patel. Well, Patriots, I'm just really honored today to have Kash Patel on. Of all the people that we've come to know, and he's probably one of the more unique names, not only did he show up obviously in the Q forum early on before we really know who he was. He's become an instrumental voice in a lot of what we have seen, both in investigations in, on the Capitol Hill and then, of course, his efforts that he did under President Trump near the end. So, Kosh, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate the time. Absolutely. Kosh, why don't you give a little background on yourself, just to kind of get some context. We don't get this a lot out here, and I think it's important. Well, I'll try not to bore your audience, but I'll keep it brief. But uh, I always appreciate the opportunity to talk about uh, where you came from because it uh, it dictates a lot of your story. You know, a kid from Queens in New York uh, grew up, uh, wanted to go make a bazillion dollars as a son of immigrants. And uh, <laughs> I ended up in government service for 16 years. So, you know, best laid plans, right? Uh, I started my career as a public defender, of all things, after um, whopping law school debt. But I probably the best thing ever to happen to me. I learned investigative skills. I learned how to trial try cases, practice law, appear before judges and juries, a skill that's just invaluable for almost any endeavor in government. Then I became a terrorism prosecutor and, you know, prosecuted terrorists all over the world and around the country. It was a great mission set. And I was fortunate enough to go over to JSOC uh, under C.G. Miller, where I did collaborative global targeting efforts with our tier one assets. And, you know, that was just amazing to be able to wipe off the enemy, literally off the face of the earth from countries X, Y, and Z. Um, and then I, a little bit of a curveball, I thought I was, you know, hoping to go to the National Security Council right away under President Trump, but uh, Devin Nunes asked me to go over to the Hill and run the Russiagate investigation for him. At the time, neither he nor I thought it was going to be this, uh, this thing that just, uh, keeps going and going and going, but we uncovered uh, the biggest criminal enterprise there under that investigation and it's outlined in, you know, the Nunes memo and whatnot. And then I finally got my dream job running counterterrorism at the White House for President Trump, and I thought that would be my last post, but... Um, and he asked me to be deputy director of national intelligence. And then when I thought that would be the last post, he asked me to be chief of staff at the Department of Defense, which was easily the best job I've ever had. And I don't know if I'll ever have a better job serving the men and women in uniform and our veterans, more importantly, um, looking after them was President Trump's priority. And, and, you know, it was humbling to be a part of that process. So what are you doing today? Because I know um, and you've got a book out and you've also got a foundation you're running. Is that right? Yeah. So, you know, a couple of things. I appreciate you letting me a quick blurb on that fightwithcash.com. It's fightwithcash with a K.com. I learned through my uh, time leading the Russiagate investigation that as merciless as the media was to me and as, as the amount of lies they put out, the defamatory material they put out, it wasn't unique to me. So I sued New York Times Political on CNN. And I learned after my time in government that I was everyday Americans were mercilessly defamed and deplatformed, but they don't have tens of thousands of dollars for lawyers. So fightwithcash.com is a full-on charity. What we do is we go around the country and we raise money for anyone who needs it. And if you have a defamation case, you let us know 
we will review it for free and we will take it to court if there's a cause of action and we will pay for your lawyers so you can clear your name. It's just important to get the, you know, to correct the media and clear your name. And then an extension of that was the children's book I wrote. <laughs> you know, who would have thought I would ever become an author, let alone a children's book author. But my team had a brilliant idea that the Russiagate narrative, the truth behind it, that it was the largest criminal conspiracy ever perpetrated against a president by political opposition and political elites in the government, um, that truth shouldn't belong to adults. The children should know it. So we set it out in an apolitical fashion. There's no Democrats or Republican highlights in there. There's no conservative or liberal saying you should be this or that. It just says, do the right thing. Go on a quest for the truth. So the plot against the king is set in medieval times with characters like Hillary Quinton and Keeper Comey and a duke named Devin who goes on a quest for truth with his pal, uh, Cash the Wizard, and they set on a quest and take out the Shifty Knight and company. But the important thing is, you know, the, we illustrate the truth through our children and the illustrations are great. And you can pick up a copy at plotagainstheking.com. It's the number one bestseller. New York Times refused to acknowledge it. And Google already tried to shut us down, which means we know we're doing the right thing. So my new mission is we're going to put a plot against the king in every school and every church and every temple across this country. So our kids have access to the truth in a political fashion. That is totally awesome. Really cool. That kind of leads perfectly right into the segue, which is information warfare. We are in an unprecedented yeah. time. Yeah. Um, I, I've when I worked up at, and we talked before as I worked at, when I worked up at Asymmetric Warfare Group, I've briefed a number of times that there is no more devastating form of warfare when fully deployed than a massive information warfare on the populace. This type of fight we're in right now is what people are. Are obviously we have a digital army that's rising up, but this is a really hard thing for the nation and equally for our military mm -hmm. uh, to get our heads around. What's your thoughts on that, Cash? Well, you know, with your background, you're able to understand it, and it's not something everyday Americans come across. But what I analogize it to is the disinformation campaign being conducted by our politicians through the media, be it this administration or the likes of Adam Schiff or what have you. It's similar to that. Only our enemies, Russia, China, and Iran, are doing against America's national security apparatus. And to defend against that is something that's basically stealthily done and never seen or reported on because we used to be so successful at it. But what I think you're talking about is our deterioration and our abilities to protect America from that type of disinformation warfare campaign or ASW. Um, and the media is the example I use for the, something to relate to the public. How many times have they been duped or lied to, be it Russiagate or Impeachment 1 or Impeachment 2 or Bountygate or uh, you know the January 6th Unselect Committee? Everybody knows these media operations put out lies intentionally on behalf of politicians and a year or two years goes by and there's a correct, correct, a quiet correction in a footnote somewhere. And they blow right by it, even though they knew they were lying. They knew they were putting out classified information to hurt the country, but they didn't care because it was a politicization of our national security apparatus. And it's terrible. Now that people see what's going on on everyday fronts, now we can start educating them on, you know, what asymmetrical warfare is, because that is what is the biggest threat to this country from the likes of Russia and China. And they are coming after us hard because this administration has no idea how to protect American national security interests. Well, I think we also see a, this erosion of trust that is hit on a lot of levels. Um, I want to jump to the Durham case just real quickly because yeah, um, one of the things that jumped out at me and no one really has talked about it, but it was profound to me is that not the issue of whether John Durham won or lost, but it was mm -hmm. the fact that the jury was partisan. It was so partisan. Yeah. In fact, you could. It indicates that we we're going to have a hard time running rule of law in this country. What are your thoughts? 
You're right. You know, look, as a former public defender and prosecutor, terrorism prosecutor, you know, rarely do you have someone who is both a PD and a prosecutor. And I took that experience over to House Intel and ran that investigation because our American public deserves accountability. And it doesn't come in a greater form than our courts of law. And as you pointed out, when a jury comes out and says, basically, this is what one of the members of the jury said after the verdict, they said this case was a waste of time and they don't know why they bought it. These are the same people that were Clinton and AOC donors serving on this jury. I was one of the last guys in America who had hope in the D.C. jury bureaucracy, and now it's pretty much gone. I mean, they showed you that they are capable of overreaching and breaking the law themselves, essentially, by politicizing it. Now, I will say this about John Durham. Look, I think he's on a larger mission set, and he's going to bring, he has more cases coming. He's got a trial in the fall out in Virginia, thankfully, and I think he's going to be indicting a few more folks. The information that John Durham was able to put out during this case, putting aside the acquittal, was monstrous. I mean, you had the Clinton campaign's own manager tying Hillary Clinton directly to all of Russiagate and authorizing it and assenting to it and allowing the media to lie about it. And you have the likes of the FBI agents involved in the case who lied and said on, on the witness stand that they were themselves now targets of an investigation. You have the tech executive Jaffe, who's the Christopher Steele of the Alpha Bank caper, who's put on full blast and John Durham told the judge, he is still a target of my investigation. So what I encourage the American people to do is, and I try to lead by example, is go read the information yourself. Go read the pleadings. Go read the transcripts. Go read the 60 interrogations I conducted at House Intel of Sussman, of Mook, of Podesta, of Glenn Simpson and McCabe. We put it all up on the Internet for free. It's at DurhamWatch.com. Literally, nobody gets any money there. What I've always said to people is you can listen to these great shows like yours, which is a good starting point. But at the end of the day, you got to take time and go read the black and white yourself. And we wanted to make it available. So we put it everything on DurhamWatch.com and we're going to continue to upload document after document so the American public can see in court filings and DOJ and FBI's own documents and witnesses' own testimony that they have been lying and uh, breaking the law. And at least the American public will know the truth um, if they just take a little bit of time over there at DurhamWatch.com. One of the questions I've asked, and I would love to get your feedback on this, is why do you think John Durham prosecuted this in D.C. because as a federal prosecutor, he could have gone to any state he wanted, couldn't he? Yeah, he could. You know, I think John Durham is only, you know, he's a career prosecutor and, and no one, you know, it's funny. Everybody came after John Durham now, but nobody came after him when he did the CIA renditions programs prosecution, one of the toughest in DOJ's history. This guy's probably too much by the book. And what that what that says is, you know, those prosecutions, the one he brought against Sussman should be brought in D.C. under regulations, but they don't have to be. And I think he Knew it was going to be an uphill battle. He may have underestimated how uphill it was, but he has jurisdictional options going forward, especially when he drops a conspiracy case. And I think, um, you know, this next case is going to be tried in Virginia, the Denchenko case, the steel source. That's going to be good. And I think the couple of FBI agents he's, he's going to be indicting along with Fusion GPS, if he could put that conspiracy elsewhere, and I truly hope he does, it's been my one ask of him um, after the Sussman case is just we can't trust these jurors. And, and America now knows it. It was proven that they, as you said, were political operatives and, and didn't want to pay attention to the law. And it's really something. One of the biggest challenges I think this has led to, which is, I mean, a bigger trust in the system. And as the truth mm -hmm. comes out, as you have stated, I mean, you're making these documents available. I mean, to be real clear, I'm, I'm not one that I obviously I want people to vote, but I'm not one that puts mm -hmm. a lot of uh, weight right now in the integrity of the yeah. vote. Because we have right. a system that's corrupted, 
morality that's corrupted and we have yeah. a, a voting system that is the more we learn about it it is it's rancid what are your thoughts it, look it's it's definitely been eroded the you know and integrity as you say and so many americans have say when i go around the country you know they've lost faith in the in the, in the election integrity of our country and i said what i say to them is I, th- I hope you i hope everyone has learned the value of not just electing congressmen and women or senators but statewide offices state attorney generals state secretaries of state and governors because those are the individuals that control election laws and election matters they've now america has now realized that it's not a federal apparatus, that the United States election system can't be fixed by the federal government, nor should it be, but it's a state-by-state issue. So states like Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and Arizona and Nevada, now we know, and at least we've educated our American public, the consequences of failing to put statewide officers in court. And I think that's why Donald Trump has gone so far as to, as to back so many individuals across the country. But what he and I always talk about is like, yes, we have to address the election fraud, but we also have to just win so big that it doesn't matter. We can't allow our folks to get discouraged. Everywhere I go, I, I try to encourage them to not just themselves, but go out and find 10 or 15 people who aren't listening to the alt news, who aren't getting their facts from websites like DermWatch.com and encourage them to do so. So they are educated because now even those people know quietly, they probably won't admit it publicly, that they were lied to by the mainstream media and politicians for four and five years and at least offer them the truth and maybe we can get some of those folks to come break our way come November. I think we will. I hope you're right. I mean, I think that's one of the big concerns I have is just how far down and how extensive this corruption is. And, and I, I use as yeah. a metric of this Oregon, which is where I'm from, which is a motor voter state. I mean, it's the corruption mm-hmm. is so sickening here. I mean, it just literally, mm-hmm. and that is a disempowering issue for people to really understand the mechanisms to correct that. And that's, I think that's an education issue, but one that on a, on a broad scale, we still have a long ways to move on. Yeah, it, we do. It's not over and it's not going to end in November, but you know, people have also realized the consequences of losing the house and the Senate. Most Americans didn't realize, you know, when you don't have the gavels, as we say, the consequences there are. What they can do is lead these unselect committees investigations to January 6th to just perpetuate a total farce and lie to the American public for political gain. If we, the Republicans, were in power, we'd be looking at Hunter Biden's laptop. We'd be looking at, and I've always been for an actual investigation of January 6th because we, you know, we should never put our citizenry in Congress in harm's way, but an actual review would be appropriate. That's not what this is. This is a complete farce. I was subpoenaed by the January 6th committee, cost me $200,000 in legal fees. And they never wanted to hear the truth. I was chief of staff at DOD, President Trump, two days before, in the Oval Office before January 6th, authorized 20,000 National Guard, which is what the law requires the commander in chief to do before we can deploy them, as you very well know. And then we went to Capitol Police and we went to Nancy Pelosi and we went to um, the D.C. mayor and they both declined. They wanted zero National Guard because they wanted this political circus, this riot to occur so they could talk about it because they can't talk about anything else. They can't talk about, you know, the economy or the border. And what you have is this January 6th committee now putting on a Hollywoodization. And this is what they do. They did it in Russiagate. They did it during impeachment one and impeachment two. They did it during Bounty Gate. They, they take Hollywood and allow them, allow their lies to be spread mainstream when they don't have the facts. And when I was before the committee, they wanted to hear nothing about the facts of how DOD acted appropriately with the right authorizations and President Trump acted preemptively and how it was their political leadership in Nancy Pelosi and Mayor Bowser that failed to protect the Capitol that day. And those are, those, are, those are missions that I'll never stop talking about because the January 6th committee is not in search of the truth. They are in search of Hollywood and uh, that's what they get. 
you've been on Capitol Hill. You've obviously worked very closely in, in on with congressmen. Yeah. One of the big concerns I have and as we start talking about election reform is something that I don't think we put enough emphasis on, which is mm-hmm. that heavy influence of special interests and lobbyists and huge corporate money yeah. and foreign money yeah. that works through proxies. I mean, from a military point of view, that would be something from threat finance to even just the strategic operations. That would be something the military would dig into and look at. But obviously, we're in a civilian world. What are your thoughts there? Well, I, I take it one step further. I think the first thing that, of course, the lobbying sector needs to be corrected. But when I was chief of staff at DOD, I took on the defense industrial complex, and it was not popular. I called the heads of the big six. I called every CEO. Five of them called me back right away. One didn't, and one refused to talk to me. And I said, why are we spending all this? I, I am all for appropriately spending to defend our nation. It is the only no-fail mission on planet Earth. But why are we spending billions of dollars in programs that fail and and having zero accountability for it and you guys getting the next contract. The defense industrial complex and the R&D program at DOD must be the first thing to fall in line. Um, And the lobbying sector can come behind it because these are the same lobbyists that encourage the billions, not millions, billions of dollars of wasteful spending in the DOD uh, approves committees for pet projects that go nowhere. And again, I'm all for every single project that can help advance American national security. I help budget for it at House Intel and I help run it at DOD. But the defense industrial complex, you know, if we get back into power, that thing's getting completely revamped. And it starts at the undersecretary for R&D. And it starts by taking on, as you said, the lobbyists and not just in the national security sector, but in healthcare, in the economic sector. And, and definitely those that are lobbying for foreign actors, such as we just saw four star General Allen at the Brookings Institute, the president of the Brookings Institute resigned because of his far possibly corrupt criminal activities with a foreign nation. This is the same institute that hired the likes of Fiona Hill, who perpetrated the Russiagate fraud and impeachment fiasco. I mean, this is what these institutions allow uh, to be influenced, and and we, we we can't allow it. We have to stop it. Now, I think you're dead on on that. I mean, that is one of the most aggressive influence bodies on the Hill. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we're talking billions of dollars. And unfortunately, having been in it, it's there's a point where the line crosses and it ceases to become an issue of defense and it becomes a business of war, which is really uh, a real challenge. Yeah. When you have think, and I'll just add this, when you have, sorry, when you have think tanks um, masquerading as lobbying campaigns, like the Brookings Institute is, this is, this is a harm to democracy because you, it's another way that people can pour in millions and billions of dollars and supposedly get, you know, quote unquote, think tank work done. But what they're actually doing is we found out with the likes of Brookings is lobbying and getting more money for themselves and putting out more lies and hiring people like the Danchenkos of the world. And that's right, to remind your audience, Danchenko worked for Fiona Hill at the Brookings Institute, the man that's indicted by John Durham for being Christopher Steele's source for the Russiagate fraud is a current criminal and under criminal indictment. This is what's going on at these think tanks. And America needs to wake up and put these think tanks on blast for their improper conduct over the years. Absolutely. I mean, as you are very aware, I've followed the Q program from the beginning. <laughs> I was, well, and I, I say that I'm not, I don't consider myself a Q person, but I mean, it just is a, from a perspective yeah. of information warfare, I've always been very impressed with that format of what it was. I think it was a great operation to wake people up and get them moving. I have a continual concern now as I follow that kind of keep eye on that group that there's been a cultish type behavior that has allowed them to trust in the plan and not get engaged 
What's your thoughts on that? Because it's a, it's a, it ends up being a disempowering effect of, of people and that are out here waiting for someone else to step in and fix it for them. You know, look, I'm look, you know, whether it's Q or what have you, A, I'm always against any sort of if there's people floating around conspiracies like and this is and I'll use this as an example. You know, people every time I go around the country, people are like, you know, how do we you know, when is Donald Trump going back in office this summer? And I'm like, that's not a real conversation. It's not happening as much as I want it to happen and say we prove there's election fraud and all this stuff to the degree which it reverses the election. There's no mechanism on planet Earth that puts President Trump back in office short of November of 2024. And anyone that advances other conspiracies to contradict that, I don't think is serving American interests. And, you know, look, whether it's the cues of the world, who I agree with some of what he does and I disagree with some of what he does, if it allows people to gather and focus on the truth and the facts, I'm all for it. Because people have shut off, as you have said earlier in the program, mainstream media. They can't stand it anymore. So whether they're going to Truth Social and following Q or whatever or, or going on these uh, chat rooms and you know just for your audience i'm only on truth social if they think they're following me somewhere else they're not um i'm all for it i'm all for discourse i mean it's got to happen in in our society and what i think the, the biggest lesson that people need to learn is that sometimes you're going to get it wrong i get it wrong at least six times a day and i think that needs to continue and that those types of engagements only happen when you're willing to discuss things openly. And I take them head on when I go speak to audiences of thousands of people across America. I'll, I'll take on any question and say, I'll give you the actual version of what I believe to be true. And a lot of people are deflated and I'm like, that's okay, now you know. Now we know what we have to do. And so whether it's Q or what have you, there's good that he's done, there's bad that he's done. And I think we need more people to mobilize around platforms to get engaged. And that's the key. And that's why President Trump created Truth Social, I think. I think that's, that's excellent. Our military, one of the big, man, it's a challenge right now. We are watching our military literally getting re-engineered with woke ideology. Yeah, God, yeah. And, and it's a big concern, yeah. and, and, I, I'm, and I'm expressing not just myself, but I'm, I'm expressing also from an audience point of view. It's, it's a very big concern when you have an administration that is so tyrannical in its approaches mm -hmm. on so many things to start developing an ideology alliance within the military to where you're, you're talking things like, um, you know, critical race theory and anti-white policies. That's a very dangerous walk to make, especially when we get into that whole principle of protecting enemies, foreign and domestic. What's your thoughts there? Yeah. And I, after this one, I'm sorry, I got to go. I, I didn't realize it was getting so late, but I'd love to come back on your program. Um, Basically, uh, actually, I could probably stay on your program because this has been the most engaging conversation I've had recently, but my my publicist will kill me. Okay. Um, so so look uh, on on this on this issue, I think, look, I'm a minority. I'm a brown guy in America. I'm an immigrant of, of you know, two parents uh, who moved here from East Africa. And everybody, you know, when I go around, the, you know, and I hear these nonsense, when you actually stand up and say the truth, people are like racist. And I'm like, you do know I'm brown, right? You do know President Trump put me in these positions. You do know President Trump was the first person in U.S. history to install a minority chief of staff at DOD and a, and a minority deputy director of national intelligence. Biden didn't do it. Obama didn't do it. Trump did it. And these issues about and they go racist. They go with these epithets and they go, you know, woke with these epithets when they fail on the facts. And DOD is a perfect example. The and you know campaign plans. That's how the DOD moves. That's how we move as a as a as an institution. Whether it's Afghanistan or theaters of war or information warfare or what have you. This DOD under Biden, their first campaign plan was on climate change. I'm not making it up. 
the Department of Defense, under this Secretary of Defense, first issued a campaign plan on what? Climate change. I'm not saying right or wrong, climate change isn't the responsibility of the Department of Defense. It's certainly not the priority. And then for General Milley, the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and we can talk about that forever, to go up to the Hill and talk about he wants to understand white rage. You want to understand white rage? Look in the mirror, guy. I mean, this is a prime example of the politicization of the national security apparatus of America. The most ap- the guy that's supposed to be the most apolitical officer in uniform in the world is the most political officer because he wanted to keep his job. He broke the chain of command by entering the chain of command unlawfully, politicizing national security and running around leaking stories to the media uh, and calling his Chinese counterpart and warning them of a pending U.S. Uh, invasion or attack should we decide to do so. I mean, this guy broke the rule of law more times than I can count. And the latest example is our Secretary of Defense, Austin, is over in China. And when you go overseas as a Secretary of Defense, you meet with other Secretaries of Defense, and sometimes they're called, you know, chairman or or chief ministers or what have you. China didn't give him their number one. They didn't give him their number two. He sat down with their number three. That's how low our adversaries view American national security prowess because what are they focused on? They're focused on phantom ghost, white rage, racism, and climate change. And this is, I couldn't think of a better example, uh, unfortunately, than these to show the deterioration of our national security apparatus because they continue to politicize it. They continue to give the left-wing media the headlines that they want. Well, what do you guys want to hear next week? We want to hear about white rage. We want to hear about racism. We want to hear about the evil orange man. You know, they think this is going to win the day for them at the polls and they're wrong. They're going to get not only going to lose, they're going to get crushed because America's tired of paying seven bucks a gallon and not having baby formula and having more Chinese fentanyl flow into our country than any time before and kill 100,000 youths last year alone. That's what happened under President Biden. And I think, you know, we can continue those conversations. Uh, you know, I'd love to come back on the show and hopefully your audience follows me at Cash, K-A-S-H on Truth Social. It's the only place you'll find me. I encourage you guys to use all the platforms, but I'll put up stuff nonstop over there because I'm having I'm new to social media. So bear with me. But I think I'm having some fun over there. Well, Cash, <laughs> definitely want to have you back on. I'll get hold of your publicist. Would love to have a longer conversation, but really appreciate you coming on today. Really. God bless you, man. It's just um, thanks for all you're doing and thanks for keeping that connection to the, the alternative media. No, thanks so much. And let us know when you put it out. and We'll put it out on uh, Truth Social, at least for sure. OK, sounds good. Well, have a blessed day. You too. Bye. God bless. Good bye. Patriots, that was Kash Patel. And I'm, I have to tell you, I was very impressed today. I was uh, not sure how the interview would go, obviously. And and I, I don't hold back on questions. There's a lot of other questions I'd like to explore with him. Look, And I look forward to it when he comes back on the show. But I'm very impressed with somebody who is open to being asked anything with no restrictions and is very transparent and candid. One of the great things that I learned today, which is that he and I have both had the opportunity to work under General Scotty Miller, which is, I think we both mutually agree as well. He's one of the greatest generals we've ever developed. So there is a, a real broad range of knowledge that Kosh brings to this fight. I mean, he's he has deep understanding of targeting and, tar- and dealing with terrorism. He equally has a lot of very visceral experience and knowledge of how government works especially the corruption in the cesspool of D.C. And I think what's really evident here is just, I would hope that you hear, is that this is a very integral, this is a very complex and long-term fight. It is not something that's going to go away quickly in November. 
the idea of, as you've heard me say many times, that you cannot keep putting a weight on having somebody come in and fix it for you. Kind of the White Hats are in control, Patriots are in control, the military is the only way. I, I just don't see that unfolding that way at this point. And it's a dangerous walk to make in a republic that is supposed to be run by and for the people. Kosh holds that line very clearly, and I think that's something I hope people take to heart because it's a very important position for us as the nation to realize our culpability and our responsibility in getting us out of this mess. We didn't get here overnight. We got here to a large degree because of a willful disassociation from politics and a stepping back of involvement and, and allowing others to fill the gap that didn't have our best interest in mind. And that started locally and it's gone. It, we have it state and we have it federal. We can't affect federal very easily. And the fight in federal is going to be very difficult. There's no question about it. It's going to take legal actions and it's going to take a complete revamping of the system in DC. That in itself is a very ugly fight where we're, confronted with right now in this magnitude of corruption is a moral bankruptcy in our nation that sadly too many people have become partisan and so much of that hinges on a very fundamental issue is that we have taken God out of government. And when you take God out of government, you no longer have a moral point, reference point to work from and so it becomes power and control and me. And that's what we're contending with because so many of the people that have flooded into government, though whatever they do in their private lives, God in, in government is not integral. And yet that is how this entire government was structured. It was structured as one of the greatest human experiments ever because on the throne was not a king in a physical form. It was God Almighty as the king. And we were subordinate to him and government was to be subordinate to the will, wishes of the people. And everybody was subordinate to God. As we well know, that's been cast out a long ways here. This has been thrust out to where now we have a government that sees itself as God. And it's demanding that its peasants, us, comply with everything it says and submit to whatever they say. And that makes our Constitution little more than a doily or a a roll of toilet paper in the bathroom. And it's, it's literally considered that base by many of these people. They hate the Constitution. And if you remember from last night's interview with Nick Searcy, Nick Searcy, I mean, what we had right there was an example in that film, if you haven't seen Capital Punishment, please check it out, where you literally had FBI and DEA and marshals in these raids, and they were taking the the constitutions off the shelf and taking evidence photos of them qualifying the constitution as an, an illegal, as if it was an illegal document that takes us now back all the way back to the beginning of this nation. Because if you were found at the beginning of this nation with a declaration of independence in your pocket in any of the colonies of great Britain, it was punishable by death. This particular government in its form, isn't just Joe Biden. It's represented by Joe Biden, and it is a deep systemic corruption in the mentality of overreach. 
and its easy alliance then is to find those totalitarian models that appease it. And especially when you start adding woke ideologies and you start adding progressive left ideologies, all of which has been incubated at all these universities that they have to go to in order to get these jobs because you have to have the degrees, then you're steering in towards this absolute implosion and infiltration at the level in this nation that has never before been considered, let alone witnessed. And unfortunately, most of these people in government and most in the military have not taken time to read our founding documents. They've not read the Declaration of Independence. They've not read the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, nor have they read the origins of where all that came from. That's a pretty phenomenal statement, especially when you start talking about the military, where part of their essential role is to protect and defend the United States from enemies, foreign and domestic, but they can't conceive of a domestic enemy if you don't understand what laws are broken. The fundamental laws of the United States, the way they are set up and structured, have been trounced on and just completely eviscerated to a large degree. Now, openly, I've been very critical of voting in the fall, and I still am critical of voting in the fall. Because there's so much weight being placed on this right now to get people to vote, and I think it's presenting an overreach of hope. However, I am going to continue to urge people to vote just to manage expectations. Even if we had a massive red wave, which perhaps will happen, there's still a lot of rhinos that have infiltrated this counter movement to try to get into the government and to use the rhino cover to try to perpetuate the power of the deep state. And that's not going to change in November. That's going to be there. And that's up to the people to discern between that. We also can't rely on endorsements from one particular person or another. We, the people, have to decide and choose the right candidate based on the principles, which I personally feel should represent that you have to reset God in this nation as a moral foundation, and we need to get back to the fundamentals of sovereign living, which were outlined in the Declaration of Independence, and then the contract to that was the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. Government is way out of control. So there, this is another behemoth of a long-term view is how do you re retract a federal government that has given itself power to grow and to overreach the Constitution? That's the big challenge that we're in right now. And someone like Kash Patel is focused, and it's great to see. He has a mission. He's, he mentioned it. Besides providing legal support for Americans, which I think is amazing, that's fightwithkash.com. Also, do check out his book, which I think is really amazing. That's The Plot Against the King. And that idea of, of presenting child education and getting into schools, that should motivate a lot of people because there's a tremendous amount of talent across this country of people that want to get involved. There's a great one right there. Tell good quality constitutional God-centric type stories for children, put them into visual, visual forms and get them out there for kids. I mean, that is a noble act right now. Something else I wanted to make note of that he, he mentioned in there was his legal fees for January 6th. 
$200,000 in legal fees for January 6th. There are that type of cash available to people just isn't common. And so when you look at some of the people that have been victimized by this tyranny with the FBI raids and their lives completely thrashed and being sued by Capitol Police, this whole, I would love to say it's a comedy show, but it's, it's a, really a Shakespearean tra- tragedy in its form. Kosh is, is fortunate to have that sort of cash for him, but there's so many families out there that have been victimized by these raids They don't have the money, don't have the resources. They've had to take the plea deals. About 85 or 90% of our cases at a federal level are resolved through plea deals. That should put chills down your spine because that's giving the prosecuting attorney the lever to threaten people with extreme measures, even though it may not be legally right, and threaten them to take a plea deal and then... The plea deal is often they're signing a plea deal that's a complete lie anyway, but in order to avoid other threatening issues of prosecution, they choose the plea deal, and that's how they play the game. And that plea deal gives is an admission of guilt even though people aren't necessarily guilty. This is how the, much of the federal system works these days. Again, a major blemish in the idea of rule of law in a country that should be free. There's a lot in this interview as you unpack a lot of the details that Kosh is is, is discussing and referencing. The military industrial, industrial complex is another behemoth because you're dealing with an a entity that as a whole, it's, it's many companies, but that are funded by taxpayer dollars that are traded on Wall Street. So they're getting a double-ended bargain here. You're getting taxpayer funding for their contracts, which keeps them sustained. And then that taxpayer money that runs the company allows them then to go and trade on Wall Street so that investors can come in and put in money and they have more capital to work with. That's what, in a very naive sense, that's what they would call a public-private partnership. It's actually a public-private exploitation. That military-industrial complex is a massive engine for influence and lobbying. And we also know that big pharma is in there. And this gets again to how do we change D.C.? Because at the core of this, in order to change the laws of the land, we have to get Congress to be able to do it. And unfortunately, we have such an issue right now with corporate funding, special interest funding, even funding that's coming across the seas through shell corporations or to special lobby interests that are housed here, which makes it legal for them to proceed. And then you're getting all this leverage. And let us not forget the power of blackmail because the intelligence agencies are, when they are integral into this, and it's not necessarily the active intelligence agencies, but the people that have learned the skills of the intelligence agencies often go to work for many of these firms and they use some of these skills to, force people in through blackmail and leverage. We know this is, exists. This isn't, these aren't sort of mythical stories. This is just a day in the life in Washington, D.C. All of that said, I think the, what we have to realize is when we water all that down, we have to be very realistic about where the fight is that we can continue and to win. And you've heard me say this over and over. It's the local area where you live. 
Counties become the most important pivot in reclaiming this country, not states, but counties. Because counties are constitutionally grounded, they have the sheriff. That sheriff rule takes us all the way back to the Magna Carta with the Shari. And we, we have a, a legacy of legal precedent that gives you an ability to literally take back this country county by county. At the end of the day, the federal government and the state government are at the mercy of the counties, especially when counties start to reclaim their focus on constitutionality and all those things that go with it. And this is going to become extremely important because already the Senate is up, ready to pass red flag laws on guns. They're talking about new restrictions. It's one of the biggest revamps of 2A if they get it through. And it's going to come down to counties and sheriffs saying yes or no to that. We are in a complete war on every aspect of our Constitution and Bill of Rights. And so, you know, big hat tip to Kosh because he is in that fight. He is honest. He's found his focal points where he can make a difference, and he's committing everything and his time to that fight. It's not just politics. He's not running for office. He's running for the people, and he's working for the people, which, again, very impressed with that example of what statesmanship looks like. So I hope you can take a lot of this in and reflect on that because we each need to take that sort of baton and run with it. We each need to hold that banner now and and become committed to a statesmanship in the many different forms that we can do that. Whether that's in your local community in a political office or whether that's in your local community as just an active community member. Maybe it's setting up home churches, maybe it's helping people or yourself homeschooling, but always trying to help more than just our households. Maybe it's helping others grow food and and the community garden aspect, Patriot Gardens. Or maybe it's getting people yourself and others to help build small businesses, to break away, to revive that energy and American small business and innovation. Maybe it's your health issues. Maybe you have the skills to be participant in health And at the same time, maybe you're able to yourself teach yourself or build the capabilities within your own household to where you're not dependent on the corporate monster again of healthcare. We have to become informed. That's, you know, that's pillar number six in county by county. We have to become informed. And as in being informed, that's taking action in our communities based on informed and knowledge and our knowledge that we have. And then obviously our last pillar is conservation and stewardship. And that includes everything about our lives from energy to water. It's becoming more resourceful and using the county resources and our local resources better so that we can build towards an autonomy and self-sufficiency in each of our homes and our counties in which we live. This type of action, some of the most radical action you can take, it may not satiate that hero desire or that musket desire, but this isn't that type of a fight. And that's the one thing that I think is very evident in talking to Kosh. He's understanding very clearly that one aspect of this fight is lawfare, and he's waging that. We have at our disposal the ability to wage information warfare, a very critical aspect to that, which also deals with sharing that and expanding that. We also have the war on faith for faith, not so much on faith. 
And that's literally now taking up faith and making that, looking that as an, as an offensive capability, which starts to awaken people and give them a grounding to take them back to the foundations of this nation. Most of all, in all of this, we have to remain fully informed and educated, and it is a lifelong commitment. This is not going to be done quickly. It's not going to be done in next year. It's going to take generations because there's been generations of programming that have built this cult that we're going against, and it's going to take generations for it to be cleaned up. All that said, we will win this. And for one thing, we have the resolve and the commitment through faith, our, our solid stance on faith to know that no matter how long this goes on, no matter what becomes of us, our commitment is to something greater than just power, tyranny, and self. We're dealing with something that deals with a morality, with a faith in God, a, an understanding of the gifts that were given through the sacrifice of Christ. All of these things put together make a comprehensive capability within us as a foundation that allows us to endure any storm. And that's what makes this army one of the most dangerous armies ever developed in the history of man. Patriots, let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for just an amazing interview with Kash Patel. And it's going to open this prayer tonight just for a blessing for him and his work and protections over him for his continued efforts in raising up knowledge and pursuing truth. We need more with his sort of commitment and energy, and we're blessed to have the few that we have, and we just continue to pray for the many that are out here, the patriots of noble heart, to be able to stand up and take that banner and to start climbing that mountain in any form that is necessary, that we continue to have that resolve and that energy to never quit, to always climb, and to always pursue the righteousness which you give us. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Patriots, thank you very much for joining tonight. I'll be back this evening for Fishers of Men. So keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. Keep your prayers up. Our nation needs a lot of prayers for strength and clarity right now. Discernment is a difficult thing, but we're getting there. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God will always win. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. Walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tonight for Fishers of Men. Until then or until the next time. God bless. And out for now. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war and wishes to bring peace should begin by looking inward, by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace. Too many of us think it is impossible. Too many think it is unreal. But that is a dangerous, defeatist belief. It leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable, that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces 
we cannot control. We need not accept that view. Our problems are man-made. Therefore, they can be solved by man. And man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable, and we believe they can do it again. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs and hardships, as well as high reward. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer, to rest, to wait. But this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who move forward, and so will space. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept. The energy, the faith, the devotion, which we bring to this endeavor, will light our country and all who serve it. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. thousands of years to show its face. It has only one intent, to destroy God's light and to enslave. It has no scruples, it has no rules but one, to win at any cost. But we will never bow, for we are the remnant that will hold the line. This is war. We fight. Push. We climb. We never give in. We become the nightmare that evil didn't know could exist. We pray. We stand. We live by the words in God we trust. We fear nothing. We are the light that can never be extinguished. We are patriots. We are the digital army that will help deliver God's wrath. 